You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. For those who haven't been with us the last few weeks, uh, you have missed a corker of a story. It's a story of God's recalcitrant prophet. Uh, God comes to the prophet Jonah and says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah runs in completely the opposite direction. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to do what God has said. He doesn't want to say the words that God has told him to say. He goes in entirely the opposite direction. God sends a big storm and uh, the sailors, they're all praying to their different gods. What's Jonah doing? Nothing. He's not praying. In fact, he refuses to pray. He says to the sailors, you know, this storm has come because of me, but just throw me over the edge. I'm not stopping. I'm not going back. I'm not obeying God. No, throw me over the edge. And so the sailors are like, no way. We're not doing that. But they try everything. Eventually, though, they say to God, look, please forgive us. So they're praying to God. Jonah still hasn't. Please forgive us for throwing this guy over the edge and they throw him over the sea goes completely calm and the sailors all praise and worship God they all become followers of God they repent and they're 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 living for God now Jonah sinks on down 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 and eventually he's in a position where he's definitely he's he's gonna die and finally he calls out to God God in his mercy sends the famous fish and swallows him And uh, Jonah prays in the belly of the fish and eventually after three days the fish vomits him out onto the shore. And so at beginning of chapter 3 we get the start again and God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh. And this time Jonah does. You remember from last week, he goes to Nineveh, that great city, the capital of Assyria, evil, horrible place. And he goes in there and he says, 40 days, you're all going to be wiped out. You're going to be overturned or turned around, depending on how you read the Hebrew. And actually that happens. The whole city repents. We finished last week with the complete success of Jonah's mission to Nineveh. The whole city turns around and turns to God. Jonah's proclamation and Nineveh's response so exactly what God wanted that chapter 3 ends with verse uh, 3, sorry, verse 10, when God saw what they did, they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Now, You might expect after that that Jonah would be ecstatically happy. He's engaged single-handedly in a citywide evangelistic crusade. Thousands have heard the gospel. Thousands have come and repented and given up their violent ways. Their lives are amended, whereas the crime rate before was off the scale. You couldn't walk the streets without fear of getting mugged. Now people have changed. Nineveh's safe. It's a good place to bring up the kids. Totally changed. Jonah, as a prophet, has been totally successful. 
But as we begin chapter 4, we discover that Jonah is the opposite. He is outraged. He is outraged. Chapter 4, verse 1, but this was very displeasing to Jonah and he became angry. Actually, in the Hebrew, it's even stronger than that. It says, but this was very ra, which in Hebrew is bad or evil. He, he actually thinks what God has done is evil because, and he became very angry. Why was he angry? Well, because the Ninevites didn't get what they deserved. God had done something bad or evil in Jonah's eyes by letting people off who should have been punished. Jonah was angry because God was gracious and merciful. And it sounds kind of comical, and it is kind of comical. Uh, Why are you angry when God's being kind and loving and gracious and good? And, And yet, And yet, are are we so different to Jonah? My guess is there's hardly a person in this room who has not felt this at some stage in their life. And, you know, as I look at Jonah chapter 4, I can certainly see see it as a mirror. I can see my ugly face looking back at me as I look at chapter 4. I wonder whether you've been in a situation where... You're finding things hard and you're looking at other people who don't even seem to follow God all that well, if at all, and you you can see your life is difficult and you see their life is actually pretty good and seems to be going well and there's something in your heart that says, why? That's wrong. I go to church every single week. I live the super moral life. I don't do all the bad things that they do. Why, why is their life good and mine's... Look at mine. I'm finding things hard. See, Jonah thinks it's good for God to have mercy on him, <laughs> but he's not consistent, is he? he? He says, you know, thanks a lot for getting me out of the sticky situation where I was about to drown. I quite like your, your mercy. But... Uh, for me, but then I'm part of your people. I've been worshipping you my whole life, so that's exactly, that's exactly what you should do, God. That's exactly what you should do. I'm your people, you're my God, you bless me, my life is good. That's the way religion's meant to work, isn't it? Yes. No! <laughs> I've been worshipping you my whole life. But Nineveh? You know what, God? I was glad to give your message to the Ninevites. That was my favourite part of this whole episode. Because I got to say, I went into that city and it was so full of sin and awful things happening that are against your word and I hated it. Forty days, Nineveh destroyed. That's the way it was meant to be. That was the most fun I've had as a prophet. It felt right. You know, it felt good. And then you just let them off the hook. You know, that's not fair. 
That's not fair. What you've done in letting them off is evil. We discover in perhaps the most important book, uh, most important verse in the whole book, chapter 4, verse 2, the, the whole reason that Jonah ran in the very first place was because he knew uh, God's outrageous nature. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, finally he's praying to the Lord, by the way. Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. Now you need to see here that Jonah is not complimenting God. And we'll not really understand Christianity until we understand the outrageousness of verse 2. That God is a gracious God and is merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from punishment. Because if you really sit and ponder it, and not just take those words as kind of feel-good faff, that's incredibly confronting. Because that means that God will act in ways opposite to you at times when you think it will be moral to act your way and not his. What do I mean by that? God has mercy when we don't. And we don't think we should with, when every fibre of our being cries out for justice. God is slow to anger while we're flamed with a righteous rage. God abounds in love even when we feel we have every justification to hate. And God relents from judgment even while we are yelling in our hearts and minds, that is not fair. See, Jonah couldn't wait to see the Ninevites punished. He was still hoping that God might relent of his grace and judge them. So verse 5, Jonah went out of the city until he should see what would become of the city. He couldn't believe that God would follow through on his love, would be so outrageous in his compassion. It's actually a huge problem, isn't it? How can God let bad people off? How can he let you and I off? If it's simply a matter of God saying, well, yeah, I love you, uh, forget about it. As though all the killing and all the torture and all the violence and all the greed and all the things that have led to pain and suffering in the world do not matter. He doesn't care. No, I love you. It doesn't matter. The greed that sucks dry the resources of the poor, the ravishing of our planet, the spiteful words, the hateful actions. How can God just pass them over? Doesn't he love enough to do something about it? See, if it's simply a matter of God brushing it all aside lightly, then actually the moral place is to stand with Jonah. The right place to stand is with Jonah and say, that is wrong and that is unfair. 
How can God let bad people off? How can he let you? How can he let I off? And still be good and moral and upright and just. Well, the reason God could have such an outrageous compassion without being himself immoral can be found outside the wall of another city hundreds of years later. In 33 AD, another prophet who was also a priest and also a king, indeed was God himself in human flesh, Jesus, died on the cross taking the judgment that the Ninevites deserved. See, Jonah went outside the city wall to see God's judgment. Well, Jesus went outside the city wall to take God's judgment. God's Outrageous compassion would culminate in the greatest outrage and the greatest act of love that he would suffer and die so that his enemies' sins might be forgiven. That the judgment may fall on us in all its holiness and purity and goodness but fall on us only as we take refuge in Jesus Christ. And so the old self is judged and dealt with all that is evil and bad it does matter and it will be dealt with to its fullest extent and you and I and the Ninevites could be a new creation and a new people and have a new chance Jonah Jonah though doesn't know anything about this he knows what God's like And although he couldn't work it out, perhaps he should have trusted. He's God's prophet after all. God, you're right. But he's outraged. (coughs) Excuse me. He's outraged at his compassion. But of course, Jonah's not very consistent, is he? Where was Jonah's moral outrage when he received God's undeserved mercy in chapters 1 and 2? He disobeyed God to his face. He'd run in completely the opposite direction. He refused to speak to God and had no, until he had no other choice. Until he was in the very jaws of death, yet God had mercy on him. And he'd received God's compassion himself, but he, but he had none for the Ninevites. He still hoped God might bring judgment on them. So he goes outside the city, he sits down, and he, he, he waits to see what happens. Maybe he's going to smite them anyway. Well, God continues. God continues to be a God of compassion and a God of love, even to Jonah. He hasn't finished with his errant prophet. And so as the most patient of fathers, with the most willful of his sons, he decides to bring a mirror to Jonah. And show him what he can't see about himself. See, Jonah's sitting out there, burning in anger, but he also was burning in the sun. He wasn't feeling very good. It was very uncomfortable. He, he was really... Uh, it just wasn't a very pleasant place to be. And so God grows up a vine to shade him. In one night... Yet in the morning it's eaten away and it withers. He knows God's destroyed the plant and so what is he? He's angry. He's angry again. 
with God. Now, just as an aside, uh, this is actually one of the things that God does. Uh, One of the things he does quite often, I think. He takes away our comforts. And I think especially here in Australia, where comfort is such a big thing for us. It It is the big thing. We want to live a comfortable life above all else. And so we surround ourselves with comforts. And those comforts tend to be our idols. So our idols are anything that we value more than God. Uh, so a quiet Sunday morning can be an idol if, if, as a regular pattern, we choose it over church. Uh, idols can also be things from which we, other things we, we take comfort from. So $40,000 in the bank uh, is, is a good a bit of comfort. The standard of living you enjoy. The overseas holidays you can go on, your, your health. You know, none of these things are bad in and of themselves, of course. But the test of whether they are is how you feel when they're taken away. How do you feel when they're taken away? Are you angry? Are you angry with God? Maybe you're angry with God right now. Maybe as you, you laugh at Jonah sitting there on the hill, you suddenly turn and discover that you're sitting next to him. Are you angry? Maybe you've had some things taken away recently. Well, Jonah's idol was perhaps his nationalism. Uh, That he was a Hebrew and his nation was God's special nation and that God was for them and therefore against the enemies. But when that's taken away from him, he is angry. Verse 3. He, he doesn't hold back. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. He's, he's really angry. He says almost exactly the same thing when the vine withers. So he said that about Nineveh when God had grace. He says almost exactly the same thing when the vine withers. He'd been living for his idols, and when they're taken away... He has nothing left to live for. Did you notice that he was saying that to God's face? (laughs) You take this away, I've got you. I'm actually in conversation with the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who is the creator of all things. I've actually seen God. I hear his words. I've got nothing to live for. Nothing to live for. Well, may God ask, do you do well to be angry? Well, has God taken one of your idols away? And are you angry with him? Is God asking you this morning, do you do well to be angry? As God's taking away God's, uh, Jonah's comfort, he, he, as he withers the vine, he's, he's not doing it maliciously. You need to see that. He loves Jonah. Uh, he's not getting back at Jonah for all his disobedience and petulance. He's teaching Jonah. He wants Jonah to know himself and Jonah's own inconsistency. He's bringing a mirror to Jonah. Uh, not to squish him, but to draw him back to himself. Verse 10. 
And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labour, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also, and I love this, and also much cattle. He's saying, you have compassion on a vine, yet you lack compassion on people and, yes, even animals who I created. I laboured on fashioning the personality and life of every single one of those people. I have tended them and I've grown them. I know every heartbeat. I know every hair on their heads. They've lost their moral compass. They don't know their left from their right. They do not know what, the, what you do. And I love them. You have compassion for a plant. Shouldn't I have compassion on them? Well, that's actually the question that the whole book ends on. And it's never answered. We're left with Jonah sitting in the dirt. And we're left with Nineveh. It's repented and had compassion. And it really ends with the question that the whole story as a whole has been, has been asking. Should I not pity Nineveh? that great city. Jonah had looked at other nations and considered them not worthy of God's grace. God was the God of Israel. Why should he concern himself about other people? With the foreign sailors, the pagan city of Nineveh. The the book of Jonah shows us that God is actually the, the God of all the world. Sometimes you can have a picture of the world and there are people who are Christians and people who follow other gods or do other things or don't follow anything at all and it's all good for the Christians to have their God and the others to have their... We worship the God of all the world, of every people. He was the God of the foreign sailors with the pagan city of Nineveh. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? He's the God who is just and right and holy and yet he forgives and loves and pours out his grace upon any human, all humans, without measure. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? We could ask ourselves the same question. Should we not be concerned for this great city of Melbourne? Not 120,000 people, but 5.1 million people, the vast majority of which who don't know God. They don't know their right hands from their left hands morally. They don't know God. People who need to know that God's judgment is coming, but that God is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Do you, do you have family members or friends or work colleagues that are like that? Particularly those you don't like. Is God sending you to them? Should he not have concern for this, this great city? Should he have not concern for you? 
Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are a gracious God and you're merciful and you're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And so we thank and praise you for your mercy, not just for us, but for the way in which you have mercy and grace upon people everywhere. Oh, Heavenly Father, if we're angry with you, help us to see ourselves truly. Would you, would you take away our anger and help us to see your, your mercy and your grace for us? And Heavenly Father, help us to see the great need of all of those around us. This whole city, city of Melbourne, this, uh, this suburb of Cranbourne, we pray that you would come to them that you would send our people, hopefully more obedient even than Jonah, to go and speak your word, that your mercy may flow upon this place and upon this city. Oh Lord, would you work in our hearts such that we might know your grace so fully that it is so unmerited. It is not because we go to church or live for you. It's simply because of your love. And help us to see that that love is for others as well. Lord, help us to walk in it to the glory of your name. Amen.